Hello and welcome to Levitate, the home of inspiring stories with me, Ryan Nell. In today's episode, we talk about how to grow as a leader and beat chronic pain with Katie Trost. Katie is an executive coach who works with leaders in the startup and scale-up industry. She travelled for four years uh, rather than go to university and set up her first business at the age of 21. She has overcome some personal hardships, uh, chronic pain and fibromyalgia. We chat about her childhood and how that shaped her and influences who she is today and also the more recent loss of her mother. Katie and I chat about community and social media and how she finds balance in a world that demands a lot of us. She also shares some really powerful tips on time management, which I know I'm going to apply to the way I work. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Just gave me cortisone shots, but didn't tell me that it would come back after. For like a week, I felt like a newborn person. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then it came back even worse. And I, it, the side effects of fibromyalgia are uh, chronic fatigue and de- like you just get so depressed. I yeah. think uh, I told my mom on the phone, I'm like, if this is going to go on for another year or two, I'm going to, I'm I'm not going to able to make it. But she told me the whole time, just don't give up. Just don't settle without having an answer. sitting here with Katie Trust. Katie is an executive coach, a regular Forbes contributor. She advises CEOs in various places across the world. She's got an incredible background, overcome some in her life, uh, chronic pain, and has flirted quite deeply with mindfulness and meditation. And we're hopefully going to do a bit of work together, but our paths have crossed and I kind of couldn't wait to get her on the podcast. So welcome, Katie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Looking forward to it. Would you just tell the listeners and viewers um, just a little bit about yourself, kind of what your journey has been to get to this point? Where it point. all started. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You already said um, my work background. So I'm an executive coach and I specialize in working with founders and CEOs and mm. sometimes the entire leadership team and I help them navigate the challenges of accelerated business growth. So when a company grows fast and dynamics change and there's a lot of new people on the team, for example. And yeah, so they usually partner with me mm-hmm. to help um, to optimize structure within the business, to optimize their personal performance and to become more effective leaders. And I'm originally from Germany, so I left 2013 and Mm. I traveled for four years around the world to 30 countries by myself, which was an amazing experience. And then I moved to New York City for two years and I lived there and that's when I really got into executive coaching and more into the startup scene and the 
the tech and finance um, industries. And yeah, and then I started my first business at 21. And wow. while I was abroad, what you mentioned earlier, and kind of how we got together today, um, while I was abroad, I spent a few months in Buddhist monasteries. And I studied the mindfulness teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh and then of Vipassana. And I wanted to learn how I can implement those in order to improve balance and then also performance in life and in business. And yeah, so as you mentioned, I also cured myself from chronic pain. I had fibromyalgia yeah. for two years. I believe it was 2016 through 2018. And so very recently. Mm. And that was an incredible journey and just experience for myself, with myself, because you're pretty much by yourself <laughs> doing that. And um, yeah, so, and as you said, I uh, write for Forbes and I write for Success Magazine and partner with uh, WeWork and Soho House. And um, I did some trainings with Quinnipiac University in Connecticut. And I do workshops and trainings on entrepreneurship and uh, on high performance psychology, on mindfulness, mm. on um, everything related to executive coaching, leadership uh, stuff as well. Yeah, and signed, signed with a few coaching firms across the world and um, help them with their clients and have my personal practice as well. It's incredible. So, you, I mean, you sound like the world's most busy human um, <laughs> with all of that stuff uh, in the CV and these different things that you're kind of working on. Um, and what prompted that sort of, uh, you say you traveled for four years. Yes. Yeah. What kind of, what was the inspiration behind that journey? That's a great question because I only remember myself riding my bike to high school and it was cold outside and rainy outside and I just was so convinced that I wanted to leave Germany and I wanted to, I was very <clears throat> type A, very uh, forcing myself into mm -hmm. a very strict schedule. And I, I, I would say I really suffered under my own pressure and I had incredible, um, I, know, I had incredible doubts about myself and I feel like every teenager and every person kind of goes through that at one point, but I really wanted to get rid of it because I believe that there is something on the other side of that and that there can be an, an amazing quality of life and mm -hmm. just, um, yeah, just confidence and, um, and more well-being on the other side. So I wanted to take that time to explore and to get rid of my negative beliefs and to explore me and and yeah. really you know develop a good relationship with myself so I just left and I went as far as I possibly could to New Zealand <laughs> and, uh, and and were your family kind of fans of the idea or were they supportive <clears throat> or hmm. Bit worried, probably. I would say my mom was. She was very supportive. She uh, didn't know what I was doing, especially when I got into coaching as well. She was very much um, confused, but she mm. always supported me in you know following what I believe was the right thing. But she also said that if I want to do something that's maybe a little bit more unconventional, I never went to college, by the way, that I would need to dedicate myself to it, and that I that she. Mm, expects excellence yeah. and that, you know, whatever I choose to do. But she didn't tell me what I had to do. 
And my dad, I think he wasn't that supportive of it, but um, he was a big part of why I left. So okay. I didn't really care. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't have to get into that. But <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, a I'm bit a, of rebellion is good. Book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So you went. So you went to New Zealand, and yeah. were, were you working out there, or were you? Um... No, not at all. I mean, I finished school, finished high school, and during the summer after I finished high school, I just worked as a waitress, and I saved all my money, and I went with, <laughs> I believe, like seven thousand dollars, and I thought I was gonna travel for ten years. I'm like, but seven thousand. <laughs> You'll never so, run out. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, three months, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, I went to New Zealand. I in the beginning I hitchhiked and went to hostels and couch surfed. It was it was amazing. My English was absolutely horrible, mm. so I was basically <laughs> using emoji English and hands and feet to communicate. Went to Sydney, got a job there, um, just for three months, just waiting tables, and then mm. left Sydney, went on a road trip, and then I just traveled and didn't just used my savings. You know, I traveled within Australia. I traveled in. Um, in Asia, Southeast mm-hmm. Asia, for about three months. And then in Western Europe, to Spain and Portugal and France. And that's where I went to the meditation retreat for the first time. in Which Porto is Thich Nhat Hanh's um, Plum Village. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's in the south of France. Or it's in Bordeaux, so like mid-south of France. A little bit outside. And <clears throat> yeah, so when I went to the meditation retreat. Mm. I was going to become an architect after, because at that point I traveled for a year, and I was be- going to become an architect and move to Vienna. And I think I only did it because that was like the only thing that I liked in school to model the yeah. houses. And I was really good at it. And it was really cool to become an architect. So I was like, of course I'm going to It's a very that. sexy profession. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So... I just imagined myself at these, you know, dinner parties. <laughs> I'm an architect. I don't, yeah. I don't know. It was so fancy. Like, to me, the idea was like, yes. So I had no clue. My, fr- my friend was like, um, I just did an internship in, a, in an architecture firm. Katie, it's horrible. <laughs> it's only numbers. <laughs> There's nothing designed. Like, yeah. Like, nothing. Like, okay. Um, I'm not going to do that. And I believe for me, the idea of having a nine-to-five was just um, not very appealing. Yeah. So, yeah, within that month of being at the monastery, I talked to a lot of people, and I met, obviously, a lot of people that were at some kind of crossroad in their life. If that was because they didn't have children and they wanted to start their own business and make that their life's work, or if the kids were out of the house and they were, like, you know, reevaluating what they wanted to do with the remaining 20, 30 years mm. that they were fit. And I just saw a pattern of people um, that went into the wrong direction for a, for a long time and then came back to the same point and kind of started from scratch in a completely new career. But now there's a mortgage and now there's responsibilities and kids. And I asked myself, do I want to be at the same point again in 20 years? Right. And, um, <clears throat> and then do something I really like? Or am I just going to take a little bit more time and just explore who I am, what I want, what I'm good at, and then go for that. And even if it's a little harder, at least I have like, you know, I'm 20 years ahead, basically, of everybody else. Because they do it after 20 years. Right, right, right. Um, or 10 or whatever. So to get the midlife crisis out of mm-hmm. the way early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Skip it entirely, mm, yeah. ideally. It was a little hard because at that mm. point, all of my friends started going to college. And I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. So right. I went home. 
after the first year and I was like, I want to do something location independent. Freedom is a big value of mine and I wanted to be able to, um, to travel another year. So I told my mom and she was like, I don't know what you're doing, but you just do your thing. I believe in you. It's all good. And I left and I went to the States for the first time. I went to New York for the first time, moved to the West Coast. Mm -hmm. um, I was dating somebody there, so I was kind of like in and out of San Francisco for about a year. And went to Central America and just cruised through Central America by myself and the chicken business. It was amazing. <laughs> and a friend of mine told me about coaching. This is a very long version of my story. <laughs> no, this is great. This is great. There are so many avenues that I want to kind of pick up on. But yeah, yeah. keep going. Keep so going. actually, because you asked how I was working. So after the first year of traveling, I went to Switzerland, went to a town called Davos, where they have the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. And I waitressed. And I did the season there. And I think I saved like 20 grand and then did another year of traveling. And yeah, so I moved to to the west coast uh, was in central america for a while and i just kind of explored and the all of those exercises that i now sometimes do with my clients like what's my values what's important to me what are my strengths and i did all of that without knowing that i was doing them so just explored myself read a lot um did a lot of meditation because at that point i already had this experience with the monastery and a friend of mine told me about coaching, and I think it was more corporate uh, leadership coaching that yeah. you can do, uh, you know, uh, some kind of courses uh, at universities, and that was a new thing. And I looked into it, and I was so fascinated by it. And I never had that thing. You know, some people, they are like photographers, uh, photographers from when they are seven yeah. years old, yeah. and they're like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, and I never had that. And when I saw this, I was like, yeah, this is amazing. And um, yeah, so very quickly, I signed up for a program, which is an American um, school. And it's, I believe, one of the top two institutes in the world next to um, the, uh, what's it called, CTI. And mm -hmm. the one I went to is called um, IPEC. And... I did that program, which is partly remote, and then um, the rest is online, and you have webinars and calls in between, and it's about 15 hours of work a, a week, I believe. So I did that, and while I was doing that, I realized that I didn't want to go back again and waitress again for those two or three months and save up again and yeah. then, uh, you know, travel. So I started, I kind of like, connected the dots and I was like I'm just going to start a business that's basically assisting other coaches so I can get a look behind the scenes how mm -hmm. it works so that's what I did and I reached out to probably a thousand coaches on the on the ICF the International Coach Federation website and I told them my story I'm Katie I'm traveling I want to be your assistant you know <laughs> and I started with like 10 bucks an hour just you know being an assistant copy pasting putting some stuff on social media um yeah and then i um just added more and more tools to my uh, to my belt marketing pr that kind of stuff increased my prices and then i had a freelance business that basically allowed me to travel and work about 10 hours a, w a week or whatever it was yeah so um i did have to go back to to the to switzerland though one more time mm. because the money just wasn't enough 
And that's when I developed my chronic pain. I was carrying these really heavy stones because the customers were able to uh, grill the steak on the, on a stone on the like table. Like a pierrot or something. Yeah, it's like you get the whole stone yeah. or something, and I carried it. And I think it was more the mental stress than anything yeah. within within the restaurant. And I hated the hospitality industry. Like, from the beginning, it was not my cup of tea at all. So... I think I just didn't like that somebody told me what to do. I think that was the whole problem. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting that theme. Yeah, yeah. so I got in the beginning, I thought it was like carp, uh, carpal tunnel. Carpal tunnel, yeah. yeah. And then I went to, I got these wraps and then I went over my over my hands and I had these bumps here. And then I went into my shoulders and then I went all over my body. And within three months, I wasn't able to move. It was just like, what's oh going on? Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So I was able to finish that, though, and then went back to California because I was still dating the guy in California. And, yeah, so I was basically laying in bed for for multiple months, and I had my business and did my coaching uh, certification and started having my first clients, and uh, I couldn't drive or yeah. put my clothes on. It was just absolutely horrible. I mean, it was... So you're speaking uh, to the clients on the phone or... Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. So that was a in very intense experience. And I broke up with him there and left mm. um, right after actually my mom got diagnosed with cancer. Mm. So my fibromyalgia was just like, wow, like it, very intense. Yeah. Because it was, it was a very intense period. And yeah, did you, did you want to talk about that I more now or later about the fibromyalgia? Now, now, now's, now's as good a moment <laughs> as, as any. Good. Yeah, uh, um, I, you know, I, I'd be interested to know um, what you think was kind of going on. You know, because obviously um, yeah. we had a little chat before the podcast, but um, quite often sort of mental, spiritual angst in a way, you know, kind of plays out physically if we yeah. ignore it for long enough. Um, but, um, do you think that was what was going on for you or? I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, I was trying to cure it in so many ways and I'm not a person who just pops pills and takes drugs and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, kind of, um, cures the symptoms. I, my mom was always, she's like, she was a huge fan of, um, homeopath uh, homeopathic remedies. Yeah. And, um, at one point, I just didn't have the, the option anymore to only um, basically try to help myself with diet. Like, I, I think I only ate green vegetables for, like, three months. Um, I only... Yeah, that sounds um, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it is Unless you like terrible. vegetables, but even then, yeah, monotonous. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I tried hypnotherapy. Um, and then when I went to the doctor, I spent so much money on the doctors in, in, in the U.S., because it's that's how so, they get you yeah, yeah exactly and they had no idea what was going on and i was like well it's basically arthritis or something like that you know i never heard of fibromyalgia before mm. it's basically arthritis and they were like no you can't have that you were too young i'm like well but i have some like you know something's <laughs> going no on idea. clearly yeah. so they just gave me cortisone shots but didn't tell me that it would come back after for like a week i felt like a newborn person like, yeah i was like oh my god this is amazing and then it came back even worse. And I, it, the side effects of fibromyalgia are uh, chronic fatigue and de like you just get so depressed. I yeah. think uh, I told my mom on the phone, I'm like, if this is going to go on for another year or two, I'm going to 
I'm I'm not gonna able to make this. Like I, yeah. I don't want to live like this. Yeah. But she told me the whole time, just don't give up. Just don't settle f- with uh without having an answer. What this is and mm-hmm. how where this is coming from. So. I did leave. Um, I did leave San Francisco, and I traveled with her in Colombia for a while. Because she had the diagnosis, and I was like, you know, you have two options. Basically, lay in a hospital and die in like three or four years, or you just come travel with me in Colombia, and we dance salsa and have tequila, and you're going to die whenever you die. She's like, okay, I'm booking my flight. I'm like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) So She sounds like an amazing woman. Yeah, Yeah. she was, definitely. So, yeah, so she came to Colombia, had an amazing, just amazing time with her for like two months, and then we went to Guatemala, and she had to fly home because she didn't feel so well. So well. And I still had the fibromyalgia. And at that point, I think I traveled for about three, three and a half years. Mm. That was beginning of 2017, yeah, and I left end of 2013. So um, she passed away, I believe, three three weeks after um, she left. And I came home just after, so I didn't really see her anymore. <sighs> but, um, yeah, I was still having my fibromyalgia, and I was in the house with my sister. My parents are divorced, and so my father was mm. not in the picture. And we were just, you know, we just had to, like, figure out a funeral and to get rid of all the stuff in the house and how to, you know, how to get tenants and all that stuff and, like, um, yeah, finance. And this, it's just, like, craziness. And, and I um, imagine n- none of which you want to think about exactly, at that moment exactly. at all. And I was building my business, my yeah. two businesses, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a very... Um, it was a very relaxing, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, yeah. But when I, I believe when I went to Germany or just before, I found somebody in a Facebook group randomly and she was just like, you know, um, if you have chronic pain, text me or like reach out to me. And I was like, okay, I never saw anything like this before in a comment yeah. off a Facebook post. And I reached out to her and I don't even remember what she told me on the phone. I was just like, take my money. I tried everything I can do. This is the absolute last resort. Like, I I have no idea. Mm. So I paid her barely anything. I think it was like 300 bucks or something. And before, I spent thousands (laughs) on doctors, you know? Yeah, yeah, you told me nothing. And she explained a concept to me that made sense. Mm -hmm. And I already believed in it, something similar before, but I just couldn't put the pieces of the puzzle together and how it all like the bigger picture and what she said she recommended a book to me that i read multiple times it's called mind body prescription by dr sarnas yeah he was um he was a he actually passed away two years ago Mm -hmm. and he was a doctor at nyu university at the hospital and he came up with this method that your brain always tries to um, release stress in some kind of way. And it can come out in uh, with, with physical symptoms. So that could be chronic migraines, chronic back pain, chronic, mm-hmm. um, for example, fibromyalgia, or you have something chronic on your knee or on your foot. And it usually starts with some kind of injury. And then it just doesn't go away. And it becomes actually stronger and stronger over time. And what your brain does is it takes emotional pain and in order to distract you, 
it um, it just makes the, p the emotional pain physical, so you don't have to deal with the emotional pain. And sometimes it comes out as anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. So it could be physical, it could be emotional. And what she taught me to do is to, first off, <clears throat> activate my parasympathetic nervous system yeah. with a lot of meditation, with deep relaxations every day, journaling, so releasing the energy. Kind of like a rest and digest mode exactly. rather than flight and flight. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I was definitely in fight and flight for, um, for a while. Yeah. Through those experiences. And yeah, so I did that. Then I read the book. And I think the, the trigger was to not buy into it anymore. Whatever your brain does with you. Like you cannot reduce stress in your life. That's, that's the first rule. You cannot reduce stress because there is positive and negative stress in your life. You have a child, you have responsibility, that's a stressor. You get yeah. married, that's exciting, but it's really stressful and it's very, you know, it's a new thing. You, you get a new job, that's exciting, but responsibility. So you, there is no way for you to, to reduce the amount of stress to zero. It's just like impossible. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it's more about how is it translated in your brain. And for a long time, nothing happened. I believe for two or three months, I did it every single day. Nothing happened. And then I went to New York for the summer because I just couldn't stay at home anymore. So was it a, a, like a particular kind of pra <clears throat> like practice? It's so just these daily things that I had to do to read some of the book. To mm -hmm. It's like knowledge therapy. Read the book 15, time, uh, 15 minutes. Then I had to do meditation 15 minutes. Do the relaxation 15 minutes. Uh, journal 15 minutes. And... Um, and, oh, yeah, one, one important thing is also to stop all, um, how do you say it, therapy or treatment. So if you go to the physical therapist or the, you know, anything to the massage, whatever it is, yeah. you give your brain um, basically the information that something's wrong with you. So you have to act as if nothing was wrong with you. Yeah. It's yeah. really like it was, it was a little bit twisted and i couldn't get the hang it's of it it's very interesting it's yeah it's yeah counterintuitive <clears throat> yeah. but um yeah yeah and i couldn't i couldn't i understood the concept but nothing happened i don't know it was weird and then i went to new york and i broke down five days literally i i remember i didn't leave the bed nothing and by the day i could see the bumps on my hands swelling down mm. and i got up after five days zero pain i was like what just happened I, I was like blown out of my mind. What just happened? It was crazy. Yeah. And so I was in New York over the summer. I had an amazing time there and then decided also to move there. And um, yeah. And the thing with chronic pain is I believe once you, once you cure it, it's like with emotional pain, mm -hmm. it might come back, but not that much. And you know how to handle it. So you solve it again, and it might come back in a, in a longer period of time even, you know. Um, and you just know how to handle it, and it, it just doesn't come anymore. It's it's really interesting. And when it comes, sometimes it comes, and I feel it like 5% or something of what I used to feel. Yeah. And I just literally think of the cover of that book, and it just disappears. Because you, you, effectively you're like now a, yeah. a repository of all that knowledge, yeah. right? So you, you, you know it works. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I know there's some sort of really interesting studies, like longitudinal ones that John Kabat-Zinn did. Um, uh, the sort of 
can't call him the father of mindfulness, but he's one of the guys who brought it into Western medicine in particular uh, in the 70s. And um, his program, like mindfulness-based stress reduction, um, one of the major kind of groups of patients they work with are people with chronic pain. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, they're very much doing the work of... We, we, we're unlikely to be able to get rid of the pain. What we want to do is help you change your relationship with it. Yeah. So it, you're no longer it. suffering it. Mm-hmm. It's just something you're experiencing. Yeah. Um, but there is some mental acrobatics you need to do to get there. You have to. But I don't even believe in that. Because I, for a long time I thought maybe now I need to more learn how to manage it. Mm-hmm. How, how to manage the pain. But I believe if you wasn't weren't born with something and it's like you know the way your body is built or something Mm. i believe you can get rid of it and it's really hard to believe that even for me i can say it in a very you know convincing way i lived through it i experienced it i experienced the doubt in the beginning is this gonna work the whole process and then the final result and when I talk to people who do have chronic pain, I always hear, I know, but it's not going to work with me. Or, yeah. but it's back pain, but I had it for so long. But you can even see it on the x-ray. And that's actually interesting because um, the guy, the Sarnas, he says, once you're diagnosed with something or once you see it on an x-ray, yeah. it's, it becomes even worse. And what you see on the x-ray is usually a normal abnormality. So it's very, your body is much, much uh, stronger than you think. And even if you have that abnormality, Mm. you should be able to live without pain. It's kind of like the excuse of the, you know, the whole... It's almost like a confirmation bias, isn't it? Where you're, we we form, uh, I suppose we we, we form a kind of picture of how the world is. And then we'll encounter all sorts of things that don't fit with that picture. But we tend to just... Um, push them to one side they don't get as much waiting yeah absolutely um, yeah so yeah that was the don't go again get don't go and get an x-ray that's the, that's <laughs> exactly. the advice from casey yeah no, kidding. <laughs> i mean you know i i don't know it's i don't know especially uh through my mom's death where the doctors wouldn't want to give her like she wanted to test on her liver and they just wouldn't want to do that and she had to like ask five times mm. and then when she got it it's like yeah your liver is literally full of cancer it's like i just don't trust them anymore you know yeah like, yeah you told me i can't have arthritis so i don't have arthritis just because i'm too young and and this it's just i don't necessarily yeah. believe in traditional medicine or in traditional i i don't know i have a, a weird relationship with it i guess yeah, I mean, I, I can totally imagine where that is, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's there's a big, you know, big bit of um, obviously mindfulness is is uh, you know trying to get people back to being able to hear their own intuitions, you know, like yeah. be able to pay attention to what your body is saying, what your mind's saying. Yeah. Um, we're very very inclined, I think, now to obviously there, there's so much science out there so many people have kind of done the thinking for us it's yeah. quite easy just to kind of go along with it rather yeah. than developing your inner voice which Absolutely. you clearly have yeah it, it's also interesting um i think what he said in the book was that 
in certain in uh, certain times there is in illnesses so for a while everybody had ulcers then everybody had back pain yeah and it was kind of what is respected like if you if you tell your coworkers oh i have such back pain you know and it's kind of respected then unconsciously your body just develops that it's crazy so many uh, like different generations have different it's it's almost like the fashion you know like <laughs> yeah there, there's a good kind of really evidential base that yeah. um you know if you if you tell someone they have ADHD then um their they symptoms will yeah. like intensify yeah. yeah yeah they you you can almost give it to someone by yeah. uh, diagnosing them absolutely so, you know that's yeah. yeah absolutely and you can remove it yeah. by doing that yeah yeah my workshop tonight is exactly about that <laughs> okay amazing yeah. what's the title of the workshop uh it's about identity and the psychology of the self-image okay so how you see yourself and how that influences your uh, results the way you show up your performance your well-being and you can change your perception of yourself without changing your actual self and it's gonna it changes your life completely Ch- changes your reality you yeah just have to yeah. Design your identity instead of being a product of your environment. So, yeah. yeah. So y- you seem like a real, you're like a fighter and an explorer. Um, is there, <laughs> <laughs> is there a, um, is, is there like an early childhood memory that might give a bit of insight into like the Katie of today? Um, an early childhood memory. I mean, I think... When I grew up, uh, my parents got divorced when I was not that young. I think like 15 or something. Or they separated and then I got divorced later. But there wasn't like a good energy necessarily in my home. Like when I started, uh, when I had my first memories, when I started thinking around like 9 or 10. And the problems that I observed my parents had, if that was conflict emotionally in terms of relationships yeah uh, family like the rest of the family how they uh, you know related to um, my mom for example my dad's family to my mom and financially in, in all different all kinds of ways where I just remember myself standing in the kitchen and I just looked at them fighting and I was like I never want to have those problems and I just made this decision for myself that I don't want my life to feel that way. And I think that's also what I kind of ran away from. And don't get me wrong, I didn't have like a horrible, traumatizing uh, um, childhood, but I was, I knew that there is a better way of living, I think. And I made this decision for myself and I kind of wanted to go on this journey to explore how that looks like. And I think on the way I discovered that I would say 95% of people are living a life that's not, necessarily fulfilling and uh, doesn't feel so great you know yeah and waking up to a life that's not you or where you suffer from a lot of uh, negative beliefs about yourself and about the world it's it really takes away the joy and the you know the quality from the quality of your life and I just never wanted that and I made this decision and when I traveled I just felt so alive and I mm. went bungee jumping and skydiving and hitchhiking and was was only surrounded by strangers and my world image completely changed I saw everybody I didn't know as a friend I just don't know yet yeah. you know and 
I always believed in the best in people and I don't want and even though many things happened and my mother passed away and you know I built a business I still want to believe in the good things in life and I still want to trust in life and want to feel like they're in the end everything is going to be good and yeah I think it's a when you have that belief it doesn't matter you know what challenges you have because you have a positive outlook and it's you're going to use that challenge to become better instead of become broken I yeah think. yeah yeah so um I think that's really, that's really, really wonderful what you just said. Um, you're slightly, you're, you're reminding me of, because, you know, this, this sort of idea that a lot of people are out there and um, not that, not that happy, not that kind of content with what, yeah. potentially that perhaps not living the life that they could be. Yeah. Um, there was an interesting statistic I came across the other day about um, florists and solicitors Um I think in the UK, and anyway, they did they did a study and surveyed I don't know two thousand two hundred people or something, yeah. and forty percent of the solicitors were kind of found some meaning in what they do. You know, there's there's like there's job satisfaction versus something like sixty seven percent of florists, people, yeah. you know, flower sellers, yeah. um, and what the florists had was. Um, you know, this sort of sense that every day they can improve what they're doing and they've got direct yeah. contact with the customers. Yeah. They're right in front of them. Yeah. There's there's a sort of, there's an art, they're in contact with nature versus, um, you know, what most of the world is, you know, now, or Western world is now doing, which is sort of service jobs where yes. uh, you're potentially very, very far away from nature yeah uh, your customers are you know on the end of video conferencing and and you know yeah. you don't have a chance to kind of relate as humans with each other really yeah. uh, i want to get a sense of um obviously you you coach and you don't just coach you're working with these sort of ceo and founder types um i'm not sure i'd quite kind of qualify or count myself among their number yet um although i give myself the title but you know, I'd, be, I'd just be really, really interested to know kind of what, um, actually what, what coaching involves. For, I, I've, I've had a couple of coaches in my time. Uh, yeah. Everyone's had a very different method. Yes. Um, uh, there's obviously, there's this, the more I've looked into kind of coaches and kind of maybe bring them into Levitate, my business, um, the more I've kind of understood that Almost anyone could call themselves a coach. Yeah, uh, there's a very low entry bar. Low bar of entry. Um, probably similarly low as, uh, you know, sort of meditation teachers, actually. But <laughs> anyone can call themselves a meditation <laughs> yeah. teacher. But, um, but then, obviously, there are a couple of, you know, far more accredited bodies. And you've, you've done a, a lot of training. Um, I'd just be really, really un interested to kind of understand yeah. how how it works, what, what you're doing with your clients, yeah. um, what's the sort sure. of methodology? Um, so when I got trained, and especially when I moved to New York City after my mom died and I cured the fibro, I, that was my main focus. Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, I was pretty general. So I wanted to coach everybody. I just wanted to, you know, get an understanding how this works. And... I believe the definition of the International Coach Federation is that coaching is partnering with clients in a thought-provoking 
and creative process to help them maximize their potential or something similar. And yeah, it's it's different from mentoring. So it's not that somebody went through an experience and then mm. tells the other person, this is what you should be doing, which obviously also has great value, but that's it's just not the same thing. It's not consulting. So again, it's not telling what to do. And it's also not a therapy. So coaching is a partnership where the coach facilitates a certain project, certain goals that want to be achieved, certain results, um, and creates a personalized development plan for the client and agrees on how we, how we can strategy or how they can strategically mm-hmm. um, achieve that goal. And for some people, that's more of an internal um, process. So removing certain beliefs or, um, yeah, I mean, in, in business, it's I would say it's more external stuff, but it's also internal mm. in terms of what I said earlier with the identity. Okay, who am I? How do I carry myself? How do I come across? Um, how do I lead people? How can I let go of control? All of those things. But then also external um external objectives yeah. that want to be some people want to address which could be uh, hiring which could be again leadership structuring a business differently yeah. optimizing their performance um so it very much depends on the client so it's very personalized mm-hmm. so in the beginning i did a very general coaching life coaching career coaching i was signed with a corporate firm in New York, so I did some corporate stuff, um, which I liked, but I wasn't necessarily so inspired by. Yeah. And I did some career coaching and life coaching, especially for people who wanted to find out what they wanted to do with their life, because I just kind of went through that, um, you know, through that process. So what's the values? What's the strength? Who am I? What do I want? What do I not want? Who do I want to work with? And for me, I, I... I believe I always wanted to work with business owners because I believe they, first off, you have the highest, the biggest impact because they really can decide how they want to move things around. Yeah. They're not just a number in, you know, in a big corporation. And I believe they have usually a certain kind of personalities that are very inspiring to me. And many business owners use their business as a creative outlet to express themselves and want to make a change somehow. So change the way we live as humans. And um, I mean, there's companies like Apple or like, um, I don't know, whatever Elon Musk does. You know? Yeah, yeah. Everything <laughs> um, he does. Yeah. There is a huge <laughs> impact on uh, how we live and how we travel and yeah. how we um, interact with each other. I mean, all of this was created by some it was a you know an idea in somebody's mind, and now it's a reality. So yeah. I think that's really amazing. So I always wanted to work with business owners and CEOs. I didn't ask myself the question if I was qualified or not. And looking back now, I'm like, huh, maybe I wasn't qualified. But well, now it's too late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I pretty much just um, asked myself the question, who do I want to work with? And then I thought of and asked people a question, what they struggle with, and um, yeah, so in the past, I would say year and a half, two years, I uh, got into executive coaching and kind of mm-hmm. dropped the rest. 
I do it sometimes. I'm signed with a firm here in London, and I do career coaching for them. But in my personal practice, it's all working with small to mid-sized companies, so I don't do a big corporations. Usually, I would say up to maybe 300 people. Mm-hmm. And they would bring me on while they grow. So when a company gets funding... Or sometimes I'm hired through a VC firm and they use me for their founders. Then they would bring me on to help the the founder or the CEO to be the most effective within that uh, growth period. So from my experience, there is three main components that I usually work with. And everybody has a little bit of a different focus. So some people come from to me for one thing, and then the other two are we touch on a little bit, but it's not that yeah, they really yeah. dive deep in, uh, into those. And it's it's usually personal performance, so becoming most effective. Because a company, especially when you're not a big organization, very much depends on uh, on the founder and on the leadership team. And if the person... Yeah. Uh, on top of the, you know, like basically the head of the company is not operating optimally and not functioning, then usually the rest of the company doesn't either. They don't know, they don't have... Yeah, the um, sort of dysfunctions just exactly. spreads through the or they whole... Just, yeah. There's confusion, there's no structure to it, it's mm-hmm. just uh, a big mess. And then scale up kind of grows that mess exponentially so we don't want that (laughs) so it's personal performance which i usually work on optimizing energy levels physical energy emotional energy which is obviously meditation mentally uh, mental energy also meditation um and so it's almost like a bit of a life audit yes exactly so i do a lot around focus and deep work so uh, cutting out distractions and be, uh, being really strategic on um, taking on more tasks that are, uh, that how do you say it that bring the business forward rather than working on day to stay day to day stuff. Yeah. So it's optimizing energy, it's focus, emotional intelligence, and um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it in terms of per, uh, performance. Then there's structure. So I work on time management, delegating, on bringing structure into the team, into the company, Mm. and automating processes. And the third one is leadership. And I do an exercise usually um, to have them determine what an ideal leader looks like for them because there's not one set formula. But everybody has a different idea of what an ideal leader is. So... I want them to define their role and um, design their role as a leader, how they want to be, who they want to be, how they want to show up, and how they want the team to, uh, to see them. Yeah. And I work on creating a company culture and, um, yeah, on delegating. That's that's pretty much the three areas, the leadership, the structure, and the personal performance. And then everybody has, you know, their focus and mm. where they dive deeper so now i i imagine um you know particularly if it's a founder and um vc money is coming in so there's a sort of scale up thing going Mm -hmm. on there may be some 
occasionally you might you might encounter some sort of reluctance or challenge from the founder who's sort of been told that they need to they need to have a coach um is there is there an element of that i mean do, do you need uh mm, that they kind of challenge in order to get somewhere interesting yeah yeah i mean you know no 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 i think coaching used to be um, uh, to fix people within organizations that were not performing well and i think now it's more it's almost a compliment like oh somebody invested me too yeah you know because they believe that i have the potential to become even better and um usually because if it's if it's a founder and they hire me themselves, then they already have the, you know... They're already enthusiastic. They are, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I had a few clients. They were, I think they... But they had the opportunity to... The option to go out and find themselves a coach. So then when he found me, he's a, uh, he's a CFO as a, at a VC. Mm-hmm. He... Uh, he liked my profile and then he was enthusiastic about it as well. Yeah. And the other one who was hired, yeah, he's a, um, he's an MD and he already wanted to have a, an executive coach anyways. So he was like, yeah, sure. This is perfect. Oh, <laughs> perfect great. <timing. laughs> yeah, no, I never had that. No, yeah. no. Um, and, and then, you know, w- when you're kind of in there exploring, you know, what are your personal barriers and what does a leader mean to you I suppose it's, it's almost it's a sort of you're, you're facilitating them answering those questions for themselves yes the... yes I mean we determine in the beginning what the challenges and what the um, goals are mm. and if that's something that stands in the way of them getting there then we work through that yeah if not then it's an extra it's a nice to have but it's not you know in need like we have to work on this. Right, yeah. But, um, yeah, I believe if you're a leader or just in your personal life to to understand, to have a personal brand almost, that you also know who you are. Like, this is my values. This is what I do. This is what I not do. This is uh, who I'm surrounded with. This is what I eat. You know, th- like, you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. I think yeah. th- it's just... It instills confidence. If you're a leader or a mother or a business owner or um, an employee, it, it doesn't really matter. So I think it's important either either way. Yeah. And it gives you kind of guidelines of how to act when you're uh, challenged. If you're you a know? bit lost at sea. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now I, I want to chat to you a little bit about... Um, community i try to do it on every episode of this podcast um (laughs) like community can mean a lot of things to a lot of people um but you know perhaps for me um for me right at the sort of bedrock of meditation what i we, we chatted a bit earlier on about sort of you know something being very simple but we tend to kind of overcomplicate um maybe right at the very bedrock of of meditation and mindfulness is the sense that um we are happier and more joyful when we're connected Mm -hmm. and then you know connected to what well you can insert anything almost after that connected to nature connects the world around us connected to people um and 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 conversely, we're probably least happy when we feel isolated, disconnected, cut off. Um, yeah. uh, you know, where do you get your sense of 
connection from yep. and who, who do you think of when I say community? So I think it's interesting what you said with how we feel most isolated when we feel disconnected. And I believe it's when we feel disconnected from ourselves. And a friend of yeah. mine actually asked me the other day, because I don't really have a family anymore. I have my smaller sister. I My mother passed. My dad I'm not really close with. Mm. And she asked me how many days, how many times a day I feel lonely because I don't have a family. And I said, never. I never feel lonely. I feel full of life. Like there's so many amazing people out there mm. and it's your choice if you want to make them family or friends or not. And I think having the self-awareness of um, what's important to you and who you want to be surrounded with and who inspires you, um, it gives you clarity on um, who you want to connect with. And then reaching out and creating the connection it's kind of your responsibility in a way and i'm not saying oh you should only hang out with one kind of person i believe mm. especially you know in meditation you feel connected to everything you be very open-minded um you respect all kinds of different viewpoints like i don't feel resentful towards somebody who has a different political view than me or mm. who thinks differently of money than me or of relationships everybody just has their own way of thinking about something and i very much respect everybody's way of thinking but i still know my point of view and i know that it's easier for me to swim with the current when i'm in the right river than you know hmm. than yeah if i That's try lovely. to change people around me and be surrounded by people I'm not necessarily on the same page with. And I very much feel inspired by people who own companies, who have freedom around how they want to create their life. It's a completely different, it's a completely different life. I mean, the way you have to manage yourself, there's nobody to tell you what to do. It yeah. creates a different personality, I believe. And it's very inspiring to me. And... What's also interesting when I thought of, because when I left New York, I didn't really know wh where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. No, I knew what I wanted to do, sorry, but where I wanted to live. And I kind of discovered that there is this uh, community that's kind of all over the world mm -hmm. and they are so connected in a way and you meet them in all different kind of places. And I don't mean, mean necessarily long-time travelers, but really people who run companies, but they, you know... You just have a home maybe in London and one in Barcelona and then every winter everybody goes in the south of Portugal or whatever, you know, I'm just, yeah. I'm just making it up. But there is, no matter what you do and who you are, there's people who do that and there is a community for it. And I think you just have to know who you are and then plug into that community. So, yeah, I think that's, that's my community. Basically, <laughs> you become who you want to hang out with and who inspires you and yeah, then yeah. you find those people it's the same with love I believe you become the person you want to date and then you're gonna you're gonna you're on a frequency or you look you for the person you want to become yeah yeah, yeah. one way or the other yeah, yeah. Mm. and you've got um, you know go to we, we'll do the plugs at the end so you mentioned your Instagram and everything but <laughs> it, were you to stumble across Katie's Instagram I think there's something like 12,000 followers there um, does that uh, you know 
does does that feel like connection or is that a sort of you know mm. say necessary evil for actually you know kind of getting your your brand out there and making your business what it, what you want I, it to be i would say the you can kind of choose who you want to have in your your primary inbox and in your general right, inbox right 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 so in my primary inbox is uh, just friends where i connect with and I kind of, when I do Instagram stories, for example, I kind of do it for them. And because I know from yeah. them, I get the responses. Yeah. And they know where I am. And maybe they tell me, oh, I'm in the same town. Like, let's have a coffee or something. Um, and yeah. And the rest, I mean, I use Instagram as much as I want to. Like, sometimes I post five times a day and then I don't post for a week. I don't feel obligated to do anything. Yeah. But I know that it is a tool to get recognized by brands, by media outlets, and so on and so forth. And I use it as a tool. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And don't love it. I don't hate it. But I know it has value. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, I, you know, what's the chat a bit about your? You know, you you write for Forbes amongst amongst other titles, yeah. Thrive Global, and um, um, many others. Um, what what do you what do you get out of the you know the sort of the the writing? What do you get out of kind of putting putting those thoughts out yeah. there? Organization and structure of thoughts. I remember I started writing the first day I left Germany, and I started a blog. And for some reason, it got traction. And for some reason, I deleted the whole thing. I don't know why. <laughs> I regretted it so much after. It was on blogger.com or something. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. And I was just documenting my journey within and from obviously where I was. But I, f I think people were drawn to it and they just saw, okay, this is what she's going through. This is why she's developing into this kind of person. And it's a form of self-expression. And at one point it, it became a little bit more business-related, obviously, but to me it's all connected anyways. Um, and I think it's about really intensely researching a topic, thinking of your own experience with the topic, thinking of what it, what experiences that your clients have, um, and then putting it all together. And, for example, I wrote the uh, an article on the chronic pain, mm -hmm. and when somebody tells me, hey, I have chronic pain, I sent them the book, and I sent them the article, which kind of describes just, okay, this is what you have to do. Do it for three months, and you will get rid of it. If you do that, it's almost guaranteed you will get rid of it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think it's just kind of like a summary of, yeah. Also, I haven't been writing for a long time, so I have to do that again. I want to do it again. Yeah, you feel the pressure. <laughs> yes. Probably self-exerted pressure, though. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like now I, I kind of have the... Um, I get my foot in the door because yeah. I did write for some media outlets and you just get it accepted then when you uh, when you pitch an article. But I, the moment you know you can do something anytime, it's kind of like, yeah, well, tomorrow, tomorrow. And then one year later, you're like, what? <laughs> I could have done that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I like, gosh, I, I know I... Personally, I really, really struggle with. Um, I don't know if you call that time management, because I'm sure you are managing your time very well. But you know, sort of knowing what to prioritize. Yes. You know, yes. if I'm, I always feel like if I'm, if I'm working on my Instagram, which I know I have to do, then I'm not building my business in another yeah. way. The yeah. finances are being neglected. I'm certainly not developing as a teacher. Um, yes. 
And yet, if I'm doing any of those things, then I'm not growing my social media followings. So, sort of like knowing how yeah. to, um, what is important. Yes, I, I think with that, um, good thing idea that you're saying this because I, what I started doing is I started to split my day, into into certain time blocks of like an hour and a half or two hours, and in the morning I wake out and I go to I go to the gym and I shower and I meditate so I, it's my uh, body and mind block uh-huh. then I have about two hours of um, content creation so that could be right now I'm writing an ebook um, after that I will kind of pick that ebook apart and make um, like 12 articles out of it because it has 12 sections um, and during those two hours is basically creating content it could be mm recording a podcast it could be recording a video it could be uh developing a workshop it could be anything that's content that's um con- that's related to content creation and then after that i do about an hour and a half of social media and email so that could be you know direct outreach to people posting something being in groups answering comment uh, answering I'm commenting posts. Yeah. And then obviously the email that is always... Oh. Stacking up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I have lunch. And in the afternoon I have my clients. And after that I usually do another hour of emails or so. And yeah, so I kind of want to get a little bit of everything in every day, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So I have... Yeah, so I never have to worry about, okay, am I slacking on this or not? Because I know I'm going to do it these hours. So it's actually, it's very highly structured. But very then highly structured. Within these blocks, obviously, you've got a little bit of yes. um, leeway. Exactly. And you can be creative, but... Um, exactly. And I can move the blocks around if I have to. So if I feel like, you know, maybe one morning I don't want to do the content creation, I'm going to move it to a Saturday or something. But, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. a little bit of flexibility. Exactly. In that. If not, I'm, I'm just you know I don't want to enforce. I want to inspire me doing. Yeah. It, yeah. Doing it. Yeah. Um, and look, what do you do on your downtime? Um, you know, when you're not when you're not working on these blocks, or um, does the downtime get broken into blocks as well? Well, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I would say. I mean, I live in Barcelona currently, so over the summer there was a lot of um, just being on the beach exploring the city because i just moved there in may no actually in july sorry Mm -hmm. um what else i do love food a lot like i have i'm actually surprised i don't have a food blog yet i have put like all my favorite restaurants and i do research and then i go to them and then i evaluate (laughs) how good they were at the service and the the atmosphere (laughs) like it's it's (laughs) at a point where i'm like yeah (laughs) um yeah and then i read I don't watch TV, ever. I really don't enjoy it that much. Or mm. movies. Mm. And, yeah, I'm, I, I would say I'm a very social person. So I'm always surrounded by friends. I think ever since I moved to Barcelona until this very day, actually until mid of November, I had guests with maybe two or three days in between. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I'm always busy. Well, everyone wants a friend that. with a place in Barcelona, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> like, the day I get back from London, my uh, my friend from New York is coming, so she's going to basically be waiting there for yeah. me. So. <laughs> oh, God. <Yeah. laughs> So listen, I I now I know um, 
the block is probably coming to an end. So I want to, um, you know, I want to say like a huge thank you for giving your time today. And, thank you. You know, um, managing to to fit us in. Um, is there anything that you want the? Um, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but um, that you want to plug that you want the listeners or viewers to know about. Should they follow you on? Instagram or look out for the next <clears throat> ebook. Is there a website? Yes, that should launch soon, definitely before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be every all the information is on my website and also to all of my social media channels. I would say LinkedIn, I'm the most active on, or email katie at katietrust.com. Very simple. So if anybody has any questions, Feel free to reach out. Okay, so thank you <laughs> thank again so, you. so much. Um, I've really, really loved this conversation. Thank you, I, I think did listeners too. will too. Right, thank you so much for joining for that episode. At Levitate, we've been helping people to connect mind, body, and soul since spring 2018. We teach meditation and mindfulness for the real world to people with busy minds. We do this in drop-in group classes at studios and workplaces in London, and across the world. We're also really passionate about all aspects of well-being, movement, nutrition, sleep, and more. But we get all our inspiration from connecting with the community. So we're really, really happy to have you here. If you enjoyed the episode, please do share it with someone else who you think might enjoy it too. I'd love it if you'd subscribe to our YouTube channel, just search for Levitate and hit subscribe and do make sure to hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. We're going to put up episodes of the podcast if you prefer to watch them and uh, we put guided meditations up there as well. Please also uh, subscribe to the podcast. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, Breaker, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play. In fact, wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. So please do send us an email at podcast at levitate.london and let us know what you think, what you'd like more of, who you'd like to hear next on the show. And please do consider leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. They really do help keep the lights on. Finally, we're on the interwebs. You can find out more about Levitate at www.levitate.london. We're on Instagram, and our handle is at levitatelondon, one word. Same goes for Twitter and Facebook. The theme music for this episode and the show was composed by Nick Nell. You can find him on Instagram as at casuallyhere. And we can't wait to have you back. So please tune in soon for another episode of Levitate with me, Ryan Nell. Thank you. Thank you.